As Scott said, we were reading the parable of the sower, so if you'd please open your Bibles uh, to Mark chapter 4. You'll find that on page 709 um, in one red Bible and 1005 in the Bible with the um, emblem on the front. And reading from verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30 60 or even a hundred times then Jesus said he who has ears to hear let him hear when he was alone the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you but to those on the outside everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others... Like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. 30, 60 or even a hundred times what was sown. Amen. Uh, Let us come before our Lord in a word of prayer and work through this wonderful parable. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we give you thanks for this day. Uh, We thank you that you gather us together as your people. And Lord, we thank you for giving us your word which guides us uh, in our lives as your people. Help us to understand it today, we pray. And we pray that you'd help us uh, to be willing to put these, these good things into action in our lives. And we pray for your help in this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, did you notice there's actually a bit of a a tone of revolution 
uh, in the passage that we had read earlier today for us. You might not have picked too much of that up, but there were a group of crowds. There were insiders and outsiders. And there was, there was a challenge to, to people uh, as to whether they'd be followers of Jesus or not. There's actually a little bit of a, a tone of revolution there in this passage. And I wonder if you've heard the passage before. You can put your hands up. Let's see how many, how many people have heard this passage before. Yes, likewise, I, I thought about, back to uh, the stages in my life when I first really began to think about this part of the Bible. It was back when I was a younger man in search of the truth. As I was searching for the truth, I was looking for some inspiration and encouragement in life. And I didn't always begin at the Bible. I uh, looked for inspiration from books and sometimes also for inspiration and encouragement from music. Consider this one from uh, the days of my youth. It's called We Can't Be Beaten. I don't know if you've heard it before. If you want to be in my gang, stand up with me. We'll start a revolution and make the streets free. We'll never weaken, we'll give it our best. Can't be defeated, we're better than the rest. Shoulder to sh shoulder, we're going to stand. We're going to fight to the very last man. Can't be defeated, don't know the word. Shoulder to shoulder, we'll fight the world. And then the chorus, we, we won't sing it, but he says, we can't be beaten. Now that was sung by a band called Rose Tattoo. They, written by Mike Riley and Angry Anderson. Now, I think I've got a few things in common with Angry Anderson. Uh, I think he's been to the same hairdresser as me in the past. But uh, I also liked some of what he was singing about there as a young man too. The idea of being shoulder to shoulder, belonging to a group, as Angry put it. Having a mission in life was attractive too. He was talking about revolution and making the streets free. But in the end, as I thought about uh, what I stood for and, and a mission in life, I was convinced that God was more central to life's meaning. And I found myself wanting to be back in church, shoulder to shoulder with the people of God and encouraged with the word of God and God's mission. Now, I wonder if that's why you've come to church here today. Have you come here to be encouraged with the truth? Have you come here to be inspired shoulder to shoulder with God's people and inspired from God's word? Well, I hope that is true for you. And I hope those desires uh, in your heart are coming from within and that's why you're here today. And, and it needs to be that way, doesn't it? We've got to want to be here and want to hear from God's word if we're going to get something out of God's word this morning together. But if you're here because you're here dragged against your will or you're here simply for uh, the, the biscuits at morning tea, you're probably not going to get too much out of this message. I was going to say the bad news for you too is that the biscuits at morning tea aren't that great. But because David Shiraz turned 80, I'm assuming they're going to be a whole lot better today, so you might get something there too. 
But I must say, Jesus has inspired me and he's encouraged me to into a, a new life where I was once, a bit like the song we sang, lost but now found. And Jesus doesn't leave us there. He, he gives us teaching in life. And in his teaching, he gives us balance. There's a balance between some warnings that we need to hear, whether we like to hear the warnings or not. And there's also encouragement from Jesus, isn't there? To love God and to serve the Lord. And so if you've come to church today to be encouraged and built up to, to serve the Lord, you've come to the right place. Because Jesus will challenge you to do that, and he challenges me as well. And we can't ignore what Jesus says about life, can we? He warns us, but he also encourages us at the same time. So let's think together about God's word and weigh up what our response might be to that word today. If you're following in the outline now, we're at the section on context, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the context that Jesus uh, spoke this parable of the, the, of the sower. When he carried out his ministry, it was a time that was pretty intense. And there was what might be called a bit of a, a combustible mix at the time, as many people were frustrated with having their Roman overlords. They hoped instead to have a return to the good old days, the days before the exile when God reigned his people through his kings. In fact, we're told that there were a number of, a number of revolutionaries uh, around the time that Jesus lived. In Acts chapter 5, we uh, meet with some of them. Uh, a Pharisee named Gamaliel recalled a couple of Jewish revolutionaries. One was called Thutis, who had 400 followers. And Gamaliel also mentions Judas the Galilean. Apparently, both these revolutionaries were killed and their followers were dispersed. We meet with another uh, revolutionary also in the Gospels, don't we? In uh, Mark 15, we're, we are acquainted with Barabbas, who was imprisoned with other revolutionaries who committed murder in an uprising. Barabbas, as we know, was released, but Jesus handed over instead in his place. So we see that the ministry of Jesus comes at a time when there is some degree of tension, political tension. Leadership in Israel was sensitive to anyone who would receive, be received as the Lord's Messiah, Christ the King. And you might recall, even at the birth of Jesus, Herod felt threatened by the news that Christ the King was born. And it was too much for him. And so he acted cruelly, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 2, we read that Herod realises he's been outwitted by the Magi and gave orders for all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two and under to be killed. Herod was cruel. But ultimately, Herod himself went by the wayside too. He died, but Jesus grew up. And he began his public ministry in a very tumultuous and tense time in history. Just as we had a drought a few years ago, with plenty of uh, dry timber for fuel, that became a combustible mix for some awful bushfires. But in the days of Jesus, there was also a combustible mix with a disenchantment with Roman overlords 
and the rise of would-be leaders. And in those days, things didn't end well for people who were seen to be a threat to leadership in Israel. And yet that was the context that Jesus came and taught. That was the context in which Jesus entered the world and shared his good news about the kingdom of God, the reign of God, with many crowds as he shared that news that God's reign was right on their doorstep in his ministry. And the crowds came. We're at point one in our outline now. I'll pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. We're given the impression that the crowd is so large that Jesus, it's not simple for him just to speak there in amongst them. He's kind of moved out onto the, onto the lake and he's got a type of amphitheatre as people are on the banks there listening to him. And they could probably hear him better that way too. But there were no rock and roll bands back then. There was no free food to get the punters in, as they say. Jesus was there very popular with the crowds at this time. And what Mark emphasises about Jesus at this point is that Jesus is a profound teacher. In point two, we pick it up in verse two. Jesus the teacher. He taught them many things by parables and in his teachings said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Mark's pretty keen for us to know that Jesus is renowned as a teacher. He, he tells us twice there. He taught them and in his teaching said. What we get the impression of here is that Jesus doesn't simply come and have a silent ministry. He just doesn't come around and heal some people and do some good things and feed people and things like that. His ministry has a message and he challenged people, all people everywhere, to come to terms with the kingdom of God, to come to terms with their need to turn back to God and put their trust in him, the son of God. And here, as he engages this large crowd, he shares with them a special word, a parable, which is a word of truth that's a bit shrouded, but it's, uh, it's clear, it becomes clear for those who value it. And here we're, we're encountered with what's been called the parable of the sower, but the sower really only gets one, one verse, and it seems to be more about the soils. You can make a, your own judgment about that. As we read this parable, we see it's, it's mainly about the types of soils. Seed lands on the path where it disappears almost instantly. Then seed falls in rocky places. It's not very deep there and it doesn't have much of a root and so this uh, seed doesn't do, do too well there does it the sun scorches it and the plant withers uh, the seed lands in amongst weeds which are thorns it seems and they sadly choke the seed yet finally some seed lands in good soil doesn't it and produces a crop a solid crop now before we move on to the explanation of this parable uh, let's ponder just for a moment why it is that uh, Jesus is engaging the people with this kind of imagery 
Is it just because, you know, at that time of life they hadn't had the industrial revolution and, you know, sunshine harvesters and stump jump plows and that kind of technology and, you know, they're just thinking about agrarian society? Well, there is something to be said for Jesus did pick up on the, on the things of his world and engage the culture with simple things. But is there more to it than that as well? Well, based on the fact that I'm asking the question, you can probably think, I think there probably is. Uh, what exactly is Jesus speaking about in this parable? How does this parable relate to the kingdom of God that's at hand and that people need to repent uh, and encounter and enter? Well, as Jesus spoke to the people, he drew on what the Bible taught. He was very familiar with it and he fulfilled it also. I wonder what Old Testament imagery he's drawing on as he speaks about a, a sower sowing seed. Is he reflecting on Isaiah chapter 6.13, which states, But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be in the stump in the land. So the holy seed will be in the stump in the land. That Old Testament reference reminds us to a time when despite there was the fact that there was God's judgment on the people for their rebellion, apostasy and idolatry, as a tree is hacked back, Israel was pruned back, nonetheless there remained hope for God's people also, hope for a remnant. Hope for the prospect of the holy seed in the stump to regrow once again. That's an image of, of hope with that seed, isn't it? As Jesus speaks about a farmer sowing seed, does he have in mind the replanting of a new Israel, a new people of God? Does he have in mind the planting of God's kingdom? Well, I wonder whether Jesus had in mind other Old Testament imagery as well. Does he draw upon Isaiah chapter 55, 10 to 13? As he teaches about the parable of the sower, Isaiah 55, 10 to 13 looks forward to a time after exile, to a, a time of renewal and blessing from the Lord. If, if you've got it there, you can read it, look it up, Isaiah 55, but if you'd rather not Bible flap, you can just listen to what I've got to say here because I'll, I'll read the same section. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. That message from Isaiah reminded the people that in the same way that God uh, sent the rain, uh, it led to abundance in the earth, making the bud flourish so that this, it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And in the same way, God's word would go out and accomplish uh, what God desired. And it's interesting, isn't it, in the explanation, what is the seed? 
Well, it's the word, isn't it? And it would achieve God's purposes. Ultimately, leading to restoration, a world from exile, a world of chaos restored with joy in the presence of God. And that was happening, wasn't it? If you think about the ministry of Jesus, he was giving a taste of restoration on so many fronts. The ministry and the miracles, people being made new, people being restored and forgiven, given a taste of the kingdom of God that Jesus establishes in his ministry and in his life as he comes as God's king, the suffering servant. As the seed of God's word goes out, what kind of soil would people see themselves being at the time of Jesus? And what kind of soil are we going to be ourselves? Have you thought about what kind of soil you are going to be like? Well, people tended to fit into two main camps when it came to tuning into these, these parables from Jesus. And he alludes to two groups. Did you see that in verse uh, 10 to 12? There are insiders and there are outsiders, depending on how they value God's word. Before moving to an explanation of this parable, Jesus points out that he has two groups in mind as he speaks. This news comes out when Jesus is in a more private setting, alone with the 12 and other disciples. We'll pick it up in verse 10 if you're following along in your Bibles there at verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. What are we to make of this explanation from Jesus? The secret of the kingdom of God's been given. It seems to, it's, been, it's, a, it's something that's from God given to the 12 and other insiders. These insiders are the people who are a bit closer to Jesus, who value his teaching, and they start to come to understand it and feel the weight of it. And they're the ones who would recognise over time more of who Jesus was as the king in God's kingdom. And they're the ones who ultimately enjoy the blessings of uh, entering life with God and being in his kingdom. They're the ones who enjoy... Restoration with God, reconciliation and forgiveness of their sins. But for those on the outside, things are said in parables, according to Jesus, because there are those who heard Jesus, who were aware of him, who listened to him, but they were his enemies. Those who attributed his teaching and miracles to the work of Satan. Those who rejected his call of repentance and faith. And then there were those who sought to kill him. They seemed to be the outsiders. They were looking to catch Jesus out in his words, ready to inform Herod or Rome in a tumultuous time that Jesus was becoming a threat to their reign. And we see more of that happen later in the story, don't we? Now, when Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah, he's recalling a time when God's people in the past had hard hearts too. They didn't want to listen to the prophets. 
They were reluctant. Isaiah would speak to them, but they were reluctant to hear God's word. Well, Jesus seems to be making the point that because the outsiders have hard hearts towards him, they've already, they're already against him, uh, they'd hear him in parables. And so they'll only have so many words that they can take back to Herod or the Romans that can be used against him. But there also seemed to be a way to become closer to Jesus, to become uh, one of the insiders. For those who valued what Jesus taught, they came to be amongst his other disciples, his followers, as they valued his message. And these people would come to a greater knowledge of God as they came to think about the parables and understand the parables. And that happens today too, doesn't it? Some people are sceptical about Jesus and what he taught about life and forgiveness. And in their hardness and scepticism, they, they remain uh, outsiders. Sadly, they remain uh, under God's condemnation without a saviour, without forgiveness. And yet others come to understand that Jesus speaks the truth. The truth rings true. And they understand their need for forgiveness as well. That Jesus has come to be the saviour of the world, the one who comes to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And so let us come now and think a little more deeply about this parable that Jesus offers us and his explanation. In verse 13, Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Perhaps he's saying this, this parable is foundational to his teaching. And he begins with the seed that's sown upon the path. In verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown there. The word of God goes out and some people don't even give it a second thought, do they? Its situation reminds me a little bit like Pharaoh where... Uh, he hardens his heart against God and God hardens his heart towards Pharaoh. People may hear about Jesus, but they just don't value that message. I'm reminded of when the, the gospel sometimes goes out to school presentations and uh, you know, all kinds of kids get to hear the news. They might see a scripture presentation, but some of them just don't value it and they can't remember what was even in the presentation. It's even worse when some of them take the Gideon's Bibles and start drawing pictures of Satan in them and tearing them up. Jesus attributes some of this reaction to the work of Satan in their lives and it reflects his understanding of the spiritual struggle that's presently in people as they, they respond to God. He's saying there's a, there's a bigger spiritual thing going on here as well. But other seed is sown in rocky places we see that in verse 16 others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word at once receive it with joy but since they have no root they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word they quickly fall away here people seem to grapple a little longer with the word don't they they receive it with joy it's all pretty special to begin with but here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, here today and gone tomorrow for the word for them. 
And I'm reminded of uh, certain evangelistic events that I've, that I've been to in the past where you, know, you get quite a big group can be there to hear, hear an evangelistic speaker. And uh, I remember going down, downtown to hear one in 1985. We all turned up with our surfy clothes back in the day, rip curl, tracksuit pants, billabong shirts, some muscle shirts as well back in the day. Uh, and quite a few cool people went forward that night to get their little red Gospel of John book and to meet some counsellor to pray the prayer. And uh, even as some, so many went forward to uh, commit their lives, it seemed that only so many continued. Some of them received it with joy, but they just didn't stick with the Lord. They might have found that Christianity was unpopular at home. And for some of them, it wasn't very cool to be a Christian for whatever reason. They sort of received it with joy, but they didn't stand the test of time. Now, at one level, this shouldn't really surprise us either, should it? Because Jesus tells us about this kind of thing so many years before in the passage today. But the challenge for us is to whether we're going to be like that. And uh, Jesus says, if we've got ears to hear... We should be heeding this kind of warning. This brings us to verse 18 and the thorns. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Here's where we're encountered with the worries, the hand-wringing and the cares of this age they choke the seed. Perhaps people can worry that God's way is going to be just not the best way to live. There's a saying called FOMO. Have you heard that crazy saying these days? FOMO is fear of missing out. People are worried that they're going to miss out on the things of the world if they walk with the Lord. But that runs counter to the idea of remembering that God's way is the best way to live. He's given us life and an abundant life in Christ as well. It's a rich life. The worries seem to stifle some people and they, they tend not to bear fruit. What about wealth? Did you notice how wealth was described? I found this intriguing. It's described in the NIV as being deceitful, but in the, I had a look closer at the original and it could also be described as seductive. That's an interesting way to put it. Wealth is seductive. It appears to promise much, doesn't it, wealth? Especially when you can compare it to poverty. Poverty looks a whole lot less attractive to me. I like it so much better when I, I've got enough money in my bank account to buy some protein and I don't have to think too much about it. I like steak at my place. But you can't have everything. Wealth appears to promise much and poverty doesn't look very attractive. But Jesus describes wealth as deceitful or seductive. Because we could lose our way, couldn't we, by serving wealth. And that would be an example. To serve wealth in life would be an example of exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Worshipping and serving created things rather than our creator, which is what we're called to do.
In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us some priorities for thinking about life, doesn't he? He talks about making God's name holy, calling on God's kingdom to come. And it's only later in the list we get this priority to ask about our just request for needs, bread. Those things come further down the list. God's, God needs to be first in our lives. And serving wealth displaces serving the Lord. And if that's the case, then, then we do have a problem with idolatry, idolatry, idolatry that we need to grapple with. And so Jesus warns us today, doesn't he, that wealth can be seductive and our call instead is to worship the Lord. That's our challenge. Then there's the desires for other things. I suppose so many things could uh, take the place of serving the Lord and this is really going to be a question about what is it that, that we live for. Is it fishing? Some people don't have a lot of money and they, they just live for fishing. Is it football? Fun, fantasy novels. This is not to deny that uh, we can enjoy the things that God gives us in life. Just because um, we've got desire for, for other things, that doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that they, they need to come down the list and not take God's place. But uh, we don't have to be life deniers either. We're not ascetics who for bid people to marry or abstain from certain foods. We're not amongst those kooky people who go out and whip themselves as though that's somehow the touchstone of godliness. And nor do I go around wearing a hair shirt to irritate my skin as if to glory in comfortableness as a mark of spirituality. We're not life deniers. I had an itchy jumper back when I was a kid that a family friend made and I had to wear a turtleneck skibby to stop it from itching me. There was no spirituality in just being uncomfortable. That's not, we don't have to deny life, but nor do we need to let things displace the Lord. The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things are compared to thorns that choke the seed and make it unfruitful. But Jesus encourages us, doesn't he? He encourages us to be more thoughtful about these threats to our walk with the Lord and to avoid being that soil where these thorns grow up. Reminds us of outside of the Garden of Eden where there's thorns and thistles. And finally, there's the good soil. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil, <clears throat> hear the word, accept it and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is, was sown. And this is the soil that we're aimed to encourage for, uh, aimed to be, we're encouraged to aim for. Let's get this right. This is the inspiration. This is uh, where we're at the end of the sermon and you've got to go out into the week and think, this is the target. This is what I've got to hit this week. Uh, this is the crescendo. We've got to shoot to be the good soil. Which one are you going to be? Are you going to be a 30? Are you going to be a 60? Are 100 times what, what's sown? Any farmer with a 100-fold increase is going to be pretty happy. I'm seeing Ian, the nut farmer, smiling there. Would you like a 100-fold increase, Ian? Well, this is going to be a spiritual one. Having been saved from sin, having been uh, given God's grace to us in Christ, our challenge now is to enjoy this life that we are God's new creations, to bear fruit for the Lord. Are we conscious that we've got a different life to live from the world? 
since we're the people of God? Are we conscious that there, is, uh, there are good works to do for the glory of the Lord? God's given us each one different gifts and abilities. And uh, the challenge for us is to be thoughtful, isn't it? To think about how, how can we use our own gifts and abilities in the place and station in life that's God, that God has put us to serve him. And it doesn't matter what anybody else here thinks. Do you know that? It matters what God thinks. He's the one we're seeking to serve. He knows if we're seeking to bear fruit for him. That's the key. So this week, let's weigh up how we're going to serve the Lord with our own different gifts and abilities and think about how we can maybe be a bit more deliberate or conscious in life in in making some plans to, to serve the Lord, to serve the Lord in all the departments of our life. Well, there are many different missions in life, aren't there? In the song I sang at the beginning of this sermon, We Can't Be Beaten, Angry Anderson seemed to promise a revolution to make the streets free, to stand shoulder to shoulder and to fight the world. But Jesus calls us to a different revolution. He encourages us to be among those who serve the Lord together, shoulder to shoulder, and to think about what it means to be serving the Lord, bearing fruit in our lives for the glory of God. That's, that's the revolution we're called to. It's a fairly conservative one. But uh, let's see how we go this week in uh, being shoulder to shoulder with each other, serving the Lord. Let us pray. And Lord, we give you thanks for this challenge from Jesus today. As we think about what it means to rally to him uh, as our Lord and Saviour and to be shoulder to shoulder with each other, serving you as a church and and also as individuals. Lord, we um, pray that you'd help us to be mindful of how we can uh, use our various gifts and abilities, both to reach out with the good news to others who don't know you yet, but also to think about how it is we can uh, live lives which bring honour to you as we seek to put to death sin and, and seek to grow to be a bit more godly. And we pray for your help in that process and we pray that you'd help us to encourage each other uh, to live godly lives which bring honour to you. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.